How many know where you are today, right now, where you are today is because of the decisions that you've made in the past. The decisions you've made in the past have brought you to where you are today. Uh, and, and how many know the decisions that you make today will be the stories you tell tomorrow? Where we are today. If you want to change where you are right now, you've just got to make some different decisions. The decisions you've, uh, you've made. How many know we make our decisions and then our decisions make us? And so we, we have a real important uh, part in, in what God calls us to make decisions. He trusts us to be able to make decisions, to get wisdom from him. And so uh, one of the things Pastor Jamie, I know, talked about last week is it's, it's very, very difficult nowadays to make decisions. Um, a lot of it is just because of the incredible options that are available to us. How many know back in the day, whenever you wanted to watch TV, there was like three channels? Y'all remember those days? And yet the kids had to like get up and actually turn the channel. You know, some of y'all don't even remember those days. Okay, but that's that's how it was. It, there was only there was a really small. Uh, you know, I, the thing the thing is for Lindsay and I. We live in Jennings, and uh, if you want to go eat at a restaurant, the good thing is there are not many in Jennings. So it's like you want to go Burger King, you want to go to Boudin King, you want to go to Dairy King. I mean, there's all kings and queens all around here. But you go to you go to Lafayette. How many of you go to Lafayette? There's options everywhere. Any of y'all ever asked your wife, hey, what do you want to eat for dinner? By the way, don't ask that. Um, it's a trick question because when she says she don't care, I mean, no, that's a lie. She really does care. I always do this with Lynn. She's like, I don't care. And I'm like, okay, let's go to uh, King Buffet. Oh, God, no, I don't want to go there. I always pick things that I know she doesn't want to go to just to prove that she does care where she wants to go. But when you go to Lafayette, there's so many options that are available. And how do you know a date night can turn into a, a pretty disastrous night just trying to pick where you want to go eat? I, any minute here, I, every, every Christmas, one of the things that I do, usually every Christmas, because it takes about a year for me to run out, is to pick cologne. Any of you have ever tried to pick cologne? It's not like Stetson and Brute like back in the day. You know, there was only a couple options. Now there's like you go to Macy's and there's an entire bottom floor of, of cologne and you got to sniff all the beans because you got so much cologne that's all around you. I usually just defer that to Lindsay. I was like, do I smell good? Okay, we'll just pick that one. It, it, but it, it can be hard. It can be very difficult to make decisions when you have so many decisions in front of you. I think, honestly, though, one of the hardest things to do is to make decisions where the Bible is not clear. How many of you have to make some decisions and you wish that the Bible just had some very, very clear options? How many know there's some life-altering decisions that you and I have to make that sometimes the Bible is not just black and white on? You know, there are areas where the Bible is very black and white. Train up the child in the way that she go and they'll never depart from it. Which way is right? Do they go to college? Do I force them to go to college? Do I not? Do they go to a Votech? Do they, do they not? If they want to date this, do I let them date this one? How, how many know sometimes there's not always clear, clear-cut answers? The Bible tells us that uh, it's not good for a man to be alone. But he didn't tell me who to marry. I wish there would have been a thing in here that said, okay, you know, Joshua chapter 8, verse 7, Mary Lindsay. He did tell me that. I felt like that was a word from God, but there was no verse for it. How many wish there would have been a verse for it sometimes? And we look for the verses to try to get some clarity. Bible says, it's very clear, the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. That, that, that a man is blessed if his quiver is full. How much is a quiver? <laughs> I mean, can we, let's be honest. At what point does your quiver need to be snipped? I mean... Can we be honest here? I mean, what? Come on, let's, this is real decisions, right? That there's no, there's no clear description on this. I, turn to somebody and say, the Bible doesn't always say. Just tell them, tell them. The Bible doesn't always say. 
God doesn't always show us exactly what we're supposed to do. I wish there was very clear. I wish there were scriptures for everything, but, but I do believe that God gives us wisdom to decide. And so today we're going to talk about how to have wisdom in our decision-making. How many of you want to get better at your decision-making? Anybody in here, you want to, want to make some wise decisions? And so I thought today for us to begin is for us to look at the wisest and the richest man on the earth. The Bible says next, next to Jesus is, of course, who was the wisest man. The wisest man that ever walked on the earth and was also the richest man that ever walked on the earth was King David's son. His name was, anybody know? Solomon, exactly right. And I want us to actually begin today. It's, it's not in your notes, but I, do, I am going to have it on the screen for you. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you, if, you got, if you got your Bible, you can turn there. Do anybody in here believe in reading the Bible? Okay, I just want to make sure Pastor Jamie's been teaching now the right thing. Um, so 1 Kings chapter 3 uh, is where we're going to go. And, and I want to show you how Solomon actually became the wisest man in all of the earth. So first uh, Kings chapter three, if you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, then just put it on the screen. Okay. All right. There we go. So first uh, Kings chapter three says that Solomon loved the Lord and he followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. So let me just set it up. Uh, Solomon has just become king. His, his father, David, has just passed away, has given the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And so here we are, kind of first day on the job. He's got a huge kingdom that he's now over, he's in charge of. And, and I love it because the first day on the job, one of the first things that he does is he goes to church. He goes to church. Come on, how many know that's a good place to go when you're trying to figure out what to do? says, the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there. And now watch this. And, and he didn't just sacrifice one sacrifice. He sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. A thousand burnt offerings. How many know when you need something from God, you got to bring something to God? And how many know nothing moves the heart of God more than extravagant giving, by the way? He didn't just go, I'm just going to bring one dollar. He said, I'm bringing a thousand dollars. I'm bringing a thousand burnt offerings. And that night, now watch this. God responds to his extravagant gift that he brings to the Lord. And God says this, what do you what? What do you want? What do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Let me ask you this question. What if God actually asked you that same question? You came to church today and God says, what do you want? I, like, come on, how many know that's better than a genie of the bottle? I mean, that's like, whatever you want, I've recognized that you love me, that you're passionate about me, that you've been generous to me. I want to do whatever I can to help you. You just name it. Some of us in here would name, would, would ask for healings. Some of us maybe would ask for spouses or family members to come to know the Lord. Some of us would ask for, I don't know, a new job, maybe a new spouse. I mean, I don't know. We're asking for, we're all asking for something. I, what, what would you ask for? You don't have to just kind of think about it, but I want you to see what, what Solomon asked for. It's very different than what any of us probably would ask for. He says now in verse seven, it says now, O Lord, my God, you have made me King, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. So I need some help. I got a lot of people I got to oversee. And watch this. He says, give me what? Y'all help me out here. Give me a, an understanding heart. Another word for that is wisdom. Give me wisdom. Now watch. He says, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well. And I can know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? 
And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, now watch this. This is so cool. I love how God does this. Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and you have not asked for what everybody else would be asking for, which is long life or wealth or, or even the death of all of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else has ever had, has had or ever will. And now watch this. This is so cool. And how many know God's a line up God? He throws in a little extra two on that. And I will also now give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. Because how many know when we ask God really for the right thing, God will give us the great thing, but he'll also give us even extra beyond that. Come on, how many know when you, when you want like what God's thing is? The Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. And how many know when our heart lines up with his desires, we begin to get his desires and he gives us his desires, but then he also gives us our desires, the things that we long for. But how many know it's first got to be, God, I want your desires first. God, when I seek your desires, come on, how many know when he seek, we seek his desires first, God wants to fulfill your desires So his desire was, God, I just want to be a God-honoring, wise king that can rule your people well. And God says, you will do that, but I'm also going to make you famous, and I'm also going to make you extremely rich. And so we see in this scripture that that Solomon asks for wisdom. The first thing he asks God for is wisdom on how to do this. And that is why I believe Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 7, now watch this. He says this, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. You want to know what you can, how many want to be a wise guy? <laughs> All right. Or a wise girl, wise guy. He says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So today for the duration of our time together, I want to talk about how do we make wise decisions? How do we get better in getting wisdom to make decisions specifically when the Bible doesn't say yes or no? When the Bible doesn't say black or white, I mean, there's just a lot of gray areas. So how do we make decisions? Should I move? Should I not move? Should we rent? Should we own? Should we have another child? Should we not have another child? Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Should I, what do we do in these situations where both options are good options? We're not talking about evil options. We're talking about good options. They're both could be great options. How do I make a, a wise decision that's going to honor God and, and bless others and, and bless my family. So here we go. Let me give you the three. Number one is ask. If you're, if you're taking some notes, the note cards that you have are going to be a little, a little different with the uh, scriptures. But it's all right. You can, you can work with me. I'm going to give you the first one. Ask. James 1 actually in verse 5 says this. It says, if you need wisdom. How many in here need some wisdom? Okay. If you need wisdom. Here's what, here's what God tells us. What? What's the next word? Everybody say it all out. Say it one more time. Ask. Ask. Or ax. In the, that's how they say it here in Louisiana. Ask me a question. Dude, I ain't asking you nothing. All right. So <coughs> ask. How many, how many of y'all say that? It's all right. Okay. So <coughs> if you need wisdom, ask. Now watch this. Look how it describes God. Or what? What kind of God is he? He's generous. He loves, he loves giving. If you need it, ask him and watch. And, and, and here we go. What? He'll, he'll give it to you. Let me ask you this. How did Solomon get wisdom? He asked for it, right? He asked God for wisdom. 
Um, how many parents do I have in here? How many are parents? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right. So you can work with me here on this one. Um, my wife and I, Lindsay and I have three boys. And, uh, you know, we have three boys. We call them the three amigos in our house. Well, I only got one queen. There's only one queen in our home, which is good. That's all I need. And uh, we got three amigos in our home, and, and they are super competitive. Anybody have boys in here that are super competitive? They're just competitive. They're always competing about everything. They're trying to win. They're always trying to win in something. Um, they're, they, they win. They, they, they can make a competition out of anything. Lately, they've been making a competition out of brushing their teeth. I said, that's one competition. I don't want y'all, anybody to win. Okay? Everybody's got you got to brush it long. And, um, and so they are, of course, self-reliant boys. They feel like they can always do it. They don't need daddy's help. They don't need mama's help. They can do it. And, and how many know, as, as good parents, a lot of times to teach your children lessons, you let them do what they think they can do knowing that they can't do it. And all you're waiting for, this is all you're actually really waiting for is, dad, I need some help. And how many know I would step in at any moment and help, but I'm waiting until they ask for it. You know, Lindsay's got a jar that can't, you know, she can't. So one of my boys like, oh, mama, I got that. Like, oh, okay, let's see this, you know. So he's going, he's getting after it, you know. And eventually, you know, I just kind of stand there and I'm just waiting. You know, I'm just waiting for their strength to get to the end of itself. And they're like, okay, dad. And then I open and they're like, I started it for you. You know how they all do that. I did all that for you. Yeah, okay, right. But I mean, no, we serve a generous God who wants to bestow such incredible blessings and wisdom on us. But the great thing about our God is, is much like us as parents. He doesn't give anything you don't ask for. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. There's prayers. I believe there's prayers that are not answered because they were never prayed. I really I honestly believe that. I, I believe there's people in our city that are never been reached because we didn't ask God for them. We did not even invite them to church. We didn't, we haven't done our part. We're asking God to do our part. We're asking God to do something that God is telling us you need to do this. And actually, if you would do this, then I would respond. And so the very first thing is if you need wisdom, you just ask God for help. Uh, Pastor Jacob, a while back, I I heard him say this prayer and it's been a prayer that I I wrote down in my journal. And and this is the prayer that he says that he prays often. I thought, man, this is such a great prayer. And this is what he prayed. He said, God, give me the wisdom, the relationships and the resources to accomplish the responsibility you have given me. I'm going to say it one more time. If you want to write this down, because this is a good prayer. I'm telling you right now, this is God, give me the wisdom, the relationships and the resources to accomplish the responsibility you have given me. Come on, how I many know that's a good prayer? Come on, you can pray that over your family. You can pray that over your business. You can pray that over your finances. You can pray that God give me wisdom and give me the relationships. Give me the people. Give me the resources to accomplish the responsibility that you have given me. When you're making a big decision, there, there's a filter that you need to bring all this through. There's three Three spheres or three people or three things that you need to be asking, okay? So let me give you these three, all right? Three things that you need to be asking. When you got to make a decision, especially when it's in a black, not a black or white, it's a very gray area, three places that you need to go for sure. One, uh, God's word. Just write this down. Just, this is just side notes. God's word. Um, so, so when I'm about to make a decision, I need to ask, what does God have to say about this? What does God's word have to say about this? How many know God is never going to tell you to do something that contradicts his word? Somebody comes up to me and go, yeah, you know, I feel like I need to get a divorce and I need to go marry my girlfriend. Uh, God told me that. No, he did not. He did not say that. I promise you he did not say that. Because that would be contradictory to what his word says. 
Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? Oh, I need to, I, I, you know, I, I, it's okay for me to be mean to them and to ostracize them. You know, I feel like God wants me. No, no, no. Maybe you need to distance yourself, but being mean, no, that's not, that's not God's word. That's, you're not to do that. So we need to ask ourselves when we're go- coming to make a big decision, okay, what does God's word have to say? Here's the second one. God's people. What do, what do God's people say? Surrounding myself with people that I can get wisdom from. How many you know sometimes God gives wisdom to other people for you? And so people who know you, and, and, and you need to ask people who know you, people who love you, maybe people who've been there. Come on, how many know you're struggling with finances and you know somebody who else and they're on the other side of it? How many know it would be good to ask, hey, how did you get out of it? Somebody that's got a struggling marriage and you've seen somebody that also had one and they came out on the other side. You say, hey, I, I, I want to be there. I'm gonna, I want to I wanna help you. Can, can, can you help me? We're getting around people that we can ask. Hey, give me, give me your wisdom. How many, how many know if, if we're going to a financial seminar and Dave Ramsey is a speaker and I am a speaker, I can bet you which one you're going to going to go listen to the most. It would be Dave. Dave's got all the wisdom, the financial wisdom on that, way more than I do. And so why would we not go to the person who's learned the most, who has walked through the most? Y'all with me? And God puts people around us so we can get wisdom from them. You, you, you ask them, hey, I'm dating this guy. What do you think about him? What, what, what's your thoughts on, on this? You see something, how many know sometimes emotions play into our, our decision-making and it's not the best. So we can, be, we can make bad, poor decisions because we're all emotionally engaged in something or we really want something. We, we just don't want to hear what people have to say because we really want it. Which, by the way, I'll just throw this as a, as a, as a thing out there is if you only surround your pe- yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear, then they're not friends in the first place. Godly counsel is, is, is for opportunities when they can disagree with what you say. Y'all with me here? You will be better if you surround yourself with people who love you, who not, not people who flatter you. So we need to ask God, God, who, who, who are the people uh, that you have in my life that I need to ask some wisdom on? I've had guys come up to me after they've made a big decision, and then they say, Pastor Josh, what do you think about this? And I thought, it don't matter what I think. You already made the decision. You wanted my blessing after you already made the decision. So it doesn't, I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to give it to you. Because if you would have came two weeks ago before, then I'm able to give some counsel if you'd ask for it. But a lot of times it's they want, uh, as pastors, you want the blessing after the decision has been made, if it, even though if it probably wasn't the best decision. Am I preaching somebody in here? Okay. Um, here's, the, here's the last one. Um, God's word, God's people, God's spirit. How many know God's spirit lives inside of you? And God will just give you uneasiness sometimes when it comes to a decision that needs to be made. I always say this, follow peace. Man, just follow peace. God is a God of peace. If you don't have a peace about a situation, man, I would not walk into that situation. I would not make that decision. For those that, that know, our, our youngest son has been battling for the past four years, a life-threatening lung disease. And, uh, man, I'm so excited. I'm just, by the way, most of you haven't seen him. He's in second grade now, doing better than ever before, loving life, stronger than ever before. So thank you for your prayers. He's a ball of energy and drives his mama crazy. And, um, but it, he's, he's great. And God's done incredible work in his life. But I, I remember, you know, three, four years ago when, when it was down at the bottom of we didn't have options and we were coming down to what we're going to decide. And, and how many know it's scary when you've got to make the decisions for your children's health? And they're not making it for themselves. You're making it for them. And it was, do we do a lung transplant? Do we not? Do we go with medicine? Do we go with a surgery that's only been done on four kids? Do we not? Do we, how do we, how many know I can't go to a scripture here and it goes, do the surgery. 
So what do I do? Well, guess what I did? I went to God's word, and I believe that, God, you've called my son to live. He will not die, but he will proclaim the works of the Lord. I surrounded myself around extremely wise people. I got wise counsel from as many doctors as I possibly could. I, I, we talked to parents that have been there, that, have, that had kids that going through it. And then at the end of it all, we just followed peace. The thing that we felt most felt peace with. And, um, and thankfully, it's been a great decision. Um, but how many know the spirit of God will sometimes give you an uneasiness, but he'll also give you overwhelming peace. Even if it might be the hardest decision, you just got a peace that this is the direction I need to go. And so we need to ask, we need to ask God. I love this. Psalms 32, eight, the Lord says, this is the Lord says, I want you to hear this as God's saying this over you. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. How many know there's a difference between a travel agent and a tour guide? You go to a travel agent, they'll tell you all about Hawaii and this awesome place. And you ask them, have you been there? No, but I heard it's great. How many know when you land in Hawaii and you get a tour guide that's going to take you all over the island? How many know I want to be with the tour guide, not with the travel agent? Some people treat God like the travel agent, not the tour guide. Just give me the direction. Just tell me which way to go. And I want to go. And God's going, uh-uh, no, I'm going to walk with you. We need to stop asking God for guidance. And we just need to ask God to be our guide. God, would you just guide me every step of the way? You just be my tour guide. Come on, y'all with me here? And God's bringing this church on a tour guide. He's guiding you every single step of the way. And this verse is a promise that he will guide you along. Now, look, the best. Come on, everybody say the best. The best pathways for your life. I will advise you. I will watch over you. This is the promises that God has for us. But you've got to be surrendered and submitted to his will. What he wants. God, whatever you want. All right. So number one, ask. Number two, walk. Number two, walk. I kind of alluded a little bit to this in, in ask, but I'm going to dive a little bit more into this. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become what? Wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I mean, no, your relationship decisions are the most important decisions you'll make in your entire life. The people you surround yourself with are the most important decisions you will never make in your life. It is impossible to live a right life with wrong friends. Impossible. You can't do it. You can't live a right life with wrong friends. And I love this imagery because he says, walk with the wise. So this is what he does not say. When I need counsel, I'm going to go ask for some counsel and get some. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I do. No, he says, listen, you're going to walk with wise people. You know what that is? That's an imagery of doing life with people. I'm just going to walk with people who are wise. I'm going to do life with people who are wise. I'm going to be around people who are wise. I'm not going to go try to get wisdom and then go back to my own thing. I'm going to walk with wisdom because I'm going to walk with wise people. Y'all with me here? This is why we talk so much about life groups here and about you getting connected and getting plugged in and getting around people. Because how many know life change doesn't happen in rows facing forward? It happens in circles facing each other. I'm going to say that again. Life change don't happen in rows facing forward. It happens in circles facing each other where you can get around people who really know you, who know what you're walking through, who can speak into your life, who can give wisdom to you, who can give encouragement to you. Um, This is what we need in life. I want to share just a a, a quick story. Um, We have so many at our campus of what God's done with with and and through our life groups. And I'm I'm probably sure there's probably a dozen of them here, but um, we had a lady in our church. um, I'm going to just read these two stories and I'm going to show you how they they come together. Um, A lady by the name of Connie, um, she she wrote a part of her story to us and I want to share it too. She said, before getting connected with the life group, my relationship with God was stagnant. 
I was dealing with a lot of inner conflict and extreme depression and hopelessness. I did not see that God could or would be the answer. But once I got involved, I felt a sincere love, concern, and the presence of God. I knew that my life group was praying for me, and I began to feel connected. And I was able to develop a real relationship with God instead of just attending church. And I began to feel a real peace. Now watch this. So she had gotten plugged into a life group. She had been in there for a couple of months. And then watch what happens. Then the unimaginable happened. On February 6, 2017, my 28-year-old son killed himself. My world was spinning. And when my life group found out, all of them came to my house just to be with me. They were there throughout this whole ordeal, praying for me, loving me, encouraging me, guiding me, even feeding me. The tru- they truly let me, see, let me see Jesus in them, and they let me know that this was what doing life was all about. I am now raising my four-year-old grandson, and my life group is raising him too. They hug him, hold him, let him know that he is loved. They remind me that I am not in this alone, and I love my life group family, and it truly is all about an intimate bond with people who absolutely love Jesus. Come on, how many know that's what a life group's all about? I want to share the other side of this story, though. There's a guy that started coming to our church during the same time. He was uh, super Catholic. Um, him and his wife, they're, um, they're in their 60s. They've been in the Catholic Church for so long. And, and he was just wrestling a lot with God drawing him to be more involved. And so God was calling him uh, to get plugged into a life group. And he kept pushing it off, pushing it off. And finally, he kind of gave in. And I want to share his story because I want to show you how this plays out. His name's John. He says, soon after I began attending Sunday services at OSC, I realized that I would have to do more than just attend church on Sundays if I really wanted to receive all God had in store for me. One of the ways to do more and to get more is to join a life group. So my wife and I joined a life group, and now watch this. And the very first gathering we attended, we learned that a single mom in the group had just lost a child to suicide. After prayer, it was decided we would go over to her home to offer any consolation we could. We got to her house, and we prayed with her, and we just stood with her. We encouraged her. What a powerful experience this was. Here was a group of people, old and not old, male and female, black and white, doing what Jesus had told them to do, loving people. And that night, we did just that, and my life has been forever changed because of it. So he went to the life group of the family that was going to help the lady that had the suicide. Come on, how many know, we, we need to walk with wise people. We need to walk with people. If you are not walking with people, I'm telling you right now, you are a target for the enemy. You are a target because you are where you are and who you are because of the people in your life. I'll say that again. You are where you are and who you are because of the people in your life. I promise you. If you don't like where you are, You need to ask God to help you make better decisions, but you also need to get around some life-giving people, some people that can encourage you and strengthen you. And so the Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, what does he do? He listens to advice. Come on, you want God's direction? You need to hang out with God's people. So we're going to ask, we're going to walk, and let me give you the third one, the last one, decide. Just decide. Wait, what are you talking about? Just make a decision. If you've gone to God's word, if you've gone to God's people, if you felt God's spirit give you peace, if if you're walking with wise people and, and, and they're with you, just make a decision. I can do that? Yes, you can do that. 
First Thessalonians 3, uh, the, the story of Paul, he, he said this, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we just decided to stay alone in Athens. Okay, all right. So God didn't, it didn't say God directed him. It didn't say that, you know, God told him to stay. He just said, I just decided I was going to make a decision. I mean, that's what you do when it's time for lunch. I'm just, I'm just making a decision. Okay, I'm just going, this is what it's going to be. I'm going to just make a decision. <clears throat> and there are times where you're just going to have to make a decision. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of the worst things is to just not make a decision. We need to make a decision. And, 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 I'll, and I'll, I'll be honest, as a pastor, and I know Pastor Jamie would chime in on this too, there are sometimes I know God is directing me and God is saying, this is what y'all need to do, this is what you need to do, this is where you need to take your family. And then there's sometimes I'm going, mm, I think, I really hope, I'm about 70% sure on this one. I really believe that it is. And so, well, you go, well, what, what happens if I make a mistake? Well, here's the cool thing. When you make a mistake, guess what you get? Wisdom. (laughs) Right? So you make a mistake and then you get wisdom from it. So you make a mistake and you get an extra bill, you know, or you get an extra semester at school or you get an extra child. (laughs) "Mm, I got some wisdom there. All right. So I'm not going to be doing that again. All right. So. And, and, and I'll tell you this, your biggest regret at the end of your life won't be the things you did. It'll be the things you wish you had done. The biggest regrets in your life won't be the things that you did. It won't be, man, I regretted that I did that. I regret that. It's going to be, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have stepped into this. I wish I would have gotten involved. I wish I would have surrounded myself. There was uh, two psychologists, <clears throat> uh, Tom Gilovich and Vicki Medvek, and they did a survey and uh, they, they had people look over the totality of their lives. And they found out that inaction regrets outnumbered action regrets 84% to 16%. A lot of us think that we're going to get the end of our life and have a lot of action regrets. I am regretting the things that I've done. But they're saying, according to this survey, 84% of people actually had more inaction regrets than action regrets, meaning I wish I would have. I wish I would have spent more time with God. I wish I would have been a better dad. I wish I would have been a better wife. I, w- I wish I would have stepped in and got involved. And, and how many know if you know that you're going to regret it, why would you stay the way you are? Let's make some decisions. How many know before Christ, you said yes and you made decisions that said yes to a lot of things you should have been saying no to. Right? Before Christ, you were saying yes, yes, yes. And you should have been going, no, 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 no. But how many know once you gave your life to Christ, you started saying no to the things you should have been saying yes to? So before Christ, we're saying yes to things we should be saying no to. And after Christ, now here we are saying no to things that we should be saying yes to. We should be going, yes, I'm in on that. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll sign me up. Yes, count me in. Yes, I'll take a lead. Yes, I'm a, and I'm going to tell you, there's some things right now you don't even have to pray about. God already says, yeah, you need to say yes to. Joining a spiritual family, yes. Doesn't have to be this one. You just need to be in a family. Yes, you need to be surrounded around wise people. Yes, yes, yes. Giving your gifts and your talents to further the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. Leading and loving people. Yes. But how many know those are the things we're often saying no to? No, no, I don't have time for that. No, 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 I don't do that. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, you will at the end of your life have more inaction regrets than action regrets. And I've honestly never met a person that said yes to God that ever regretted it. Any of you? But I can introduce you to a lot of people that have a lot of regrets that they said no to God when they should have said yes to him. I want to end today with this last verse, Proverbs 21:30, And it says this, no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I mean, our job is just to get the horses ready, to make a decision, and then, how many know, when you get on that field, you just trust God. When you just step out in faith, you just trust the Lord. The Bible says that the victory belongs to the Lord. So he gives no details on how the victory is going to be won. He gives no details on how the battle is going to be fought. He just says, just get the horses ready and get out on the field. I got the rest. And so, many, so much of our life is not making decisions because we don't have all the details. God, give me the details. Give me all this. How many know that's not faith? Faith is God says, no, you do what I'm calling you to do, and then I'll do what I'm doing. But I won't do my part until you do your part. And we're praying and asking God to do his part, where God's saying, no, I'm asking you to do your part. How many know the Bible says if you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover? It does not say they shall recover, and then you lay hands on the sick. Y'all with me here? You, we do our part first. We step in until I'm going to just make a decision. We're going in. We're, we're going all in. We're, do, we're doing it. I, I, I've gotten counsel. The Bible doesn't say anything different to this. My pastors, the people around me that love me feel like it's a good decision. I got peace about it. I'm going to just make a decision. I'm going to trust. Do I have details? No. Nope. How's this going to work out? I'm not sure. Are we going to float? Are we going to sink? I don't know. But I believe the Lord's got the victory. I believe he's, got the, he's going to win the day. And at the end of the day, if you want to honor God and love God, come on, how you know God's going to take care of you? He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. I've made some foolish decisions in my lifetime, but I, I believe that they were out of a heart to really love God, but they probably weren't the best decisions. God just covers those. He covers those. He gives us the grace for those. There's no way you're going to foresee what God wants to do in the future, but I can tell you right now, he's going to be faithful in every step that you take.